0: Welcome to Fifth Words, We Need New Stories. Episode 3, Tulani's Story, The Quiet One Left in the Loudest Way, written by Zod and directed by Anastasia Osei-Kuffer. This episode contains references to violence. Sometimes I can see myself as a young boy on the farm sitting high up on a tree, observing life around me. The warmth of the Zimbabwean sun on my face and roughness of the branches against my thighs feel like yesterday. So it seems strange to be talking about 30-plus years in Nottingham. I guess I'll start at the beginning, shall I? Quiet children are deep thinkers. We watch and feel the things that are unsaid cradled in my mother, Maglene's arms in the hospital. My aunt knew this about me, and so she gifted me my name, Tulani, the Quiet One. I was always curious about the world. When I was three years old, I followed my older cousins to school to see what they did every day. The school was only a mile from the house. Teachers had taught generations of my family. I couldn't wait for my first day of primary school to come in three years. The teachers were impressed by this toddler who'd walked in alone. They let me stay until lunch. I thought my cousins played all day, but it turned out they learnt a lot. From that day, I became a studious child. It was a good thing, too, because my mum was a nurse and my dad was an engineer. They had high expectations for me to excel. My mother left to further her studies in England. I am her only child, so leaving me behind was not easy, but necessary for us to have a better life. She left me with my grandparents and said that she would be back soon. On my grandparents' farm, we grew corn and cotton. We raised cattle, chickens, dogs, and horses. Nature understood this quiet child. It let me climb its trees and pick its fruits from the orchard. The farm gave me and my cousins discipline and fertile ground to grow. We respected life cycles. We watched how resilient every harvest was. It was an idyllic place to live. Away from the city, We almost forgot that we lived in Rhodesia during colonial rule and a civil war. Sometimes rebels would come to the farm. They thought farmers were wealthy, but my grandfather was a retired war veteran. Rebels would raid our grain, take animals and sometimes money. When I was eight years old, they came to the farm late one night. My grandfather had nothing to give them. They turned to me and my cousins. We were scared children huddled behind an old man. They cocked their guns and told my grandfather that he would have to give up one of his grandchildren. He pleaded for the lives he'd been entrusted to protect. In a bid to save our lives, my grandfather offered to trade his war medals. The rebels were fighting their battles, hoping that history would reward them as honorably. They too wanted what they hadn't earned. As relieved as we all were, my grandfather knew that one day they would return and we wouldn't be so lucky. The next day, I was moved from the farm to Salisbury, now Harare. Not everyone had a mother in England to escape to. My grandfather called her and told her that Zimbabwe was no longer safe. She couldn't come back, and it was time for me to leave. Within a week, she'd organized my visa, and I was on a flight as an unaccompanied minor. I had no time to process what was happening. I thought that I would go back home once everything was back to normal. On the plane, I got to sit in the front with the other children, also heading to a foreign country to join their families. I was the only child fluent in English, and so I helped the others to translate from Shona or Indebele, what they wanted to eat or drink to the flight attendants. I knew all sorts about England from TV, books and phone calls from my mum. When I arrived in Nottingham in 1978, I thought I'd just fit into the world But the bitter cold migrated into how I was treated. I was othered. The African boy who journalists wrote news articles about. They were curious about how I knew the Queen's English. The empire exported formality far more often than stored it. I struggled to understand their local accents and dialects. I struggled with how relaxed their schools were. Unlike the teachers at my cousin's school in Zimbabwe, the ones at Hayden Road didn't push me. In fact, they brought me down a year. They couldn't believe that I could engineer racing cars from bottles and balloons. They thought my knowledge of the French astrologer Nostradamus was plagiarized from a white student. When I was eligible to go to high school, the headmaster blocked my chances saying that I hadn't been in the country long enough. There was a friend whose bedroom I never saw because his father never wanted my kind inside their house. And let's not forget the skinheads that roamed the streets. I was born of people who raised children as well as they'd done their crop. I was built to withstand blistering heat and droughts. I carried a briefcase to school because I meant business about my life. You couldn't tell me that I wasn't going to be someone important. The quiet child had found a louder voice in this new place. When it was time to go to college, I toyed with the idea of being a vet or a doctor. In the end, I followed what was singing to my heart. Growing up on the farm, we had to make our own entertainment... I loved learning crafts from Malawian farm workers who'd pass through for a season or two. My cousins and I would do shadow puppetry with our grandmother's clean linens. The Biscop showed international movies on the big screen, and my mum would take me to the concerts in the city. Naturally, an arts degree seemed like the right fit for me. I couldn't afford to go to London and do a four-year course. I registered at Arts near York for an intensive year. I studied film, theatre and radio. Seven days a week we had classes and put on shows. The only break I got was two hours on a Saturday to do my food shopping. I learned how to be on stage, backstage, in front of the camera and behind it. The course was preparing us to work in the industry. I did countless professional plays and theatre in the community. My commitment eventually led to me winning the Scotsman Award for the most outstanding play at the Edinburgh Fringe in 1992. I worked in London for a little while, but I always had my family's high expectations within me. As much as I loved the arts and wanted to succeed in it, I questioned the number of available opportunities for black directors in the industry. This is something the sector is still trying to combat in 2022. My mother had left behind her country and family so that I may have choices in my life. I wanted my life to be something she could be proud of. I wanted my children to have far greater choices than I had. It's not easy to step back from a passion, but I made the decision to pursue a government job instead. Over the next three decades... I worked for charities, schools and private companies in Nottingham. I have won awards for volunteering and working as a school governor. I found ways to stay connected to the arts though. I've been a part of adult theatre groups. I currently sit on three theatre boards including Nottingham Playhouse. Sometimes I'll sit just like that little boy did in the tree. And think about how things turn out in life. There's been so much variety and pivoting in my life. I've never lived in a straight line. I've been able to do this because in my quietness, in my moments of solitude, I find grounding. I listen and trust myself to make a big impact in my way. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others. All episodes in this series are available on major listening platforms and on Fifth Word's website. The next episode in this series is Vinny's story. It was in love, I was created.